Harrison Price for Tuesday, October 10th, 2023. We're coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're heading to a game in downtown Vancouver, make it a staycation. Call the hotel, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price. Brady Sass hitting switches, conducting things this show. A presentation of Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey. You can finance the 2023 Rogue from 3.99% lease or finance the 23 or 24 Leaf from 6.99%. And then over at Infinity, lease a 23 QX50 from 3.49% or a 23 QX60 from 2.99%. That's at the Richmond Auto Mall because, Blake Price, as they say, it is all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today. We were asking you on the eve of the Vancouver Canucks season and, of course, opening night for the National Hockey League and Connor Bedard of North Vancouver. Where will the Canucks finish in the standings? Top three in the Pacific? Wild card? Or miss the playoffs? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. I can see the Canucks come out flying tomorrow on home ice. Vancouver's even money to score the first goal tomorrow on your Bodog line of the day uh we will do predictions as the show goes along here in the welcome at in the price is right the return of and with jeff patterson so we'll save our answers there grady what says you uh i will stick with the final wild card spot i've said it i think through the summer i think winnipeg jets were there to leapfrog now, that was with Shifley and Hellebuck out of the fold, but... Or one foot in, one foot out. Yeah. That has changed. To me, it's going to come down with Seattle and Calgary. I think Seattle's going to take a step back. I don't buy their goaltending. Calgary's the wild card here. could go either way. I think they're going to be right around that playoff bar. So I'll say the second wild card spot, but All I'm right. a little hesitant. All right. Yeah, I, and I mean, I understand. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can look at this Canucks team and look at them vis-a-vis the rest of the division and the rest of the conference. But it all gets going tomorrow against Edmonton at Rogers Arena, then that five-game road trip, and of course, have to be competitive in October and make sure you don't get buried early. That's been a problem the last two seasons. Everything needs to go right. Kind of, yeah, as Jim right. Rutherford said, most everything needs to go right. And how's that coming should we do a status check oh my goodness (laughs) well where do you want to start with maybe they're not sure on Pedersen with McKayev missing the start of the season with 11 forwards and five defense in practice or with Connor Garland or with Connor Garland seeking to trade um Hmm. honestly it's uh it's seeking a trade or has he just changed agents no, it's now being oh, okay. reported by by Elliot Friedman that uh, his agent is aggressively and been given permission to and is aggressively making calls to seek a trade for his client. Wow. Well, they're trying to trade him up until now, and now it seems like, okay, he wants the trade. Of course, we saw this with Besser a year ago as well, and there was not much uh, interest for the price tag associated with even serviceable players. Again, no one's doubting that Connor Garland can help your team, um, but the Canucks would probably like to reallocate those funds to the defensive side of things. And 
Um, they just haven't been in love with his style of play, I don't think, despite the fact that it's somewhat it's pretty productive. Um, but I, I just, I'm very, I, maybe I'm alone in this, but I heavily doubt they find a uh, an even trade. Now, they might be willing to take an L on this trade just to get the cap space. But even so, what does taking an L mean? Maybe you've got to take back enough salary that the win here is still marginal. Yeah, well, two schools have thought they're one rehabilitate the player and see if you can get more from him when he's got less term and less money owing. The other school of thought is he could fall so bad that then you're looking at a asset that you can't move and, and may have to consider uh, buying out or, as you say, uh, taking an L on the trade, knowing full well. You're and and are you rehabilitating the uh, the asset here if he's not happy? Like, And it doesn't sound yeah. like he's terribly happy. No. Elliot Friedman on his podcast about Pedersen, quote, since Pedersen came out and said, I'm not sure yet, and that was with Elliot on a boat in Sweden in August, I think the Canucks have also kind of indicated we aren't sure either, because if there's any doubt Pedersen wants to make a commitment, I'm not convinced that they, meaning the Canucks, want to make a commitment. I am having trouble finding a reason why you wouldn't make a commitment to Elias Pedersen um, outside of that, and and look, if he doesn't want to make a commitment to you because he doesn't believe in you, then sure, I guess. But this sounds to me, Blake, like the owner's ego is a little bit out of joint that he takes it personally. Oh, you know, as he walks around town, everyone, when are you going to sign Elias? When are you going to sign Elias? And not having control. Over that matter, uh, Elias and his camp basically saying, well, we want more money and we want to see how this team goes. So I'm uh, I'm not necessarily surprised that there is some pushback from Camp Canuck on this, but I think it's I don't think it's um, the smart way to go about this. And I don't necessarily think you're going to help matters with Elias and getting things done by this sort of stuff leaking out. Let's hear from general manager Patrick Alvin, who was asked this morning about this comment from Friedman, come back and discuss. Uh, I, I'm not aware of what you're referring to. Uh, uh, but I, I, as I said all along, I like I have a great relationship with PD, I have a great relationship with his uh, representative. Uh, and uh, we just uh, continue to talk here and uh, hopefully we can get something done. Summer started. Did you think you'd have him sign to an extension by beginning of the season? Uh, if that happened, I would be uh, ex- extremely happy. Uh, but uh, we'll see. Uh, we're again. He, he's not a UFA, so we got uh, two more years uh, uh, with the rights to him. So we'll we'll take our time, and I'm sure he will take his time. So, uh, but we're, we're not. Uh, we we continue to talk. Well, a few things there. Um, you know, number one, Patrick Alvin is becoming a master in playing dumb. Uh, secondly, you can hear the organizational talking point there, right? Oh, he's not a UFA. He's an RFA. We have two more years. Well, yeah. I, I guess, you know, theoretically you do. Practically we'll see. Well, also, uh, you, you do have to guard the player's feelings and all this. They are a human being on the other side, and there has to be a want to take part in the process. And I think by the time you're into the um, – the the qualifying offer year, you've probably hurt this relationship enough that there's maybe not an appetite That's to it. sign that deal. That's it. 
And then thirdly, he keeps talking about his great relationship with Patterson and his camp. Well, Patrick, that may not be enough. Like if you have a horseshit franchise that has once again gone through another dysfunctional season and missed the playoffs, I'm not sure his personal rapport with you is going to matter. So, no, this is not trending well for the Vancouver Canucks. And I can understand if Alvin wants to play dumb on that because it very much sounds like someone above him has started to get their back up a little bit on this and take it personally. And and I can understand the frustration. I can understand wanting Pedersen signed and, you know, dust your hands off and move forward with your two best players. It's a big, big piece for this franchise going forward. Uh, alas, he's waiting until you up your offer. He's waiting to see what kind of season you're going to have. And I don't blame him in the least. I do think the Darlene contract is um, not necessarily comparable in the exact number, though I think it's in the ballpark of of what Elias Pettersson will get. I think he'll get more than Darlene, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think it just, the situation furthers the cause of of Elias Pettersson and his representation of other people are backing up the Brinks truck for similarly aged and similarly important players to their club. Um, Why are we not seeing that here? That's it. Uh, I think it ups the pressure on the Aquilinis and the Rutherfords and the Alvines of the world to get a deal done. You've got these other teams that are out there signing their lo- their star players to long-term contracts, and, and you guys can't get it done. I mean, the, the Jets the with those two players, I mean, they just spent $17 million per year on the cap. <laughs> Didn't they? Something to that effect? Right. Like, no, yeah. exactly that. Um, and, and with players who are uh, old yes. and a little bit different in Winnipeg you know you're not going to be a UFA destination. That's right. you got to hold on to what you So you're you've got to and perhaps even overpay for what you got. What you got. Shafley's 30 years old. Alibuck's 30 years old. You have just committed a lot of term. And look, these are not necessarily contracts that I think will age well. In the case of the Winnipeg Jets, it's about remaining competitive for the next, what, three to four seasons? While these guys still have... um. I don't want to say prime years, but still have good, useful years mm-hmm. ahead of them. That might even be pushing it. But again, it's a different situation because you're going to have to be a draft and develop franchise if you're Winnipeg. You're not going to be able to lure UFAs, at least the big name UFAs, all that often. And there was a small discount. I mean, 24 year old Shifley probably gets $10 million in today's market. You mm-hmm. know, he probably does. So it's a small discount, but given the age, but not a lot. We've heard the general manager now explain the uh, the acquisition of Sam Lafferty, forward from the Toronto Maple Leafs on Sunday. Here's what Alvin had to say. Going through the, the uh, discussions with the coaching staff this summer uh, and uh, the options of line combinations and, and how we performed here early on in, in preseason, I felt... Uh, I wanted to be a little bit harder to play against, uh, a little bit stiffer with the puck. And uh, when Sam uh, became available, uh, we talked and we felt that he is another guy that uh, can play in different positions in the bottom six and, and bring brings that speed, uh, speed, grit, uh, versatility to our team. So we felt that that was a good addition. So as we discussed with Jeff yesterday, Blake, coaching staff was involved in this. 
it was rooted in some of the preseason performance of the forwards, and it was a not very good performance from the forwards in preseason. Didn't score all that much. And that, yes, a, a player that's harder to play against, has a little more snarl, brings some speed and that versatility of being able to take face-offs as a right-handed guy, all factored into the decision. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we said it yesterday. I mean, decent player, probably an incremental upgrade. Um, makes a lot of sense. It's just, was that the thing that needed your focus? Was that the thing that needed to lose an asset and all that? So, um, And we'll get to Pod Colson and Hoaglander here in a second. And, you know, one's going to start in the opening night lineup, and we suspect one won't. Um, but you know, it is a bit of an indictment on the Canucks' ability to develop players who are NHL-worthy or at least NHL-equivalent to guys from other teams that are effectively being cast off or are made available because they're not going to crack other rosters. Well, and the thing to consider here, too, is, like, did you actually get a good look at some of these guys over the course of the preseason um, enough that you could make a, a reasonable assessment of what you have uh, on the bottom six. Um, I, player usage in the preseason was a little odd to me that if you were really auditioning guys, then audition them. I, giving them one game and sending them down, to me, that's that's not really an audition. Dan Milstein, the agent for Ilya Mikheyev, on Twitter last night saying, I want to clear up Ilya Mikheyev's injury situation in Vancouver. Every player heals differently. He's been working very hard to get ready, just needs a bit more time, and then we'll be back in the lineup. It doesn't sound like he's going to need long, maybe another week or two, but the fact that he isn't ready for opening day is another mistake from the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, this player was hurt last year around this time. You could have had this surgery much sooner than you did and be and have been assured that he would be ready for opening night. He won't be. And here's Patrick Alvin explaining the McKayev blunder. I believe that uh, was Adelia's agent that uh, had a statement uh, to this morning. Uh, I think every player is, is uh, different in, regarding the rehabs. When, whenever there is a procedure like this, uh, there is a process uh, behind it, uh, where, where we, uh, myself included, uh, communicate with, uh, with his agent, uh, Ilya himself and the doctors and, and looking at, uh, uh, the options we have. And, uh, and again, I think, uh, this is more, uh, individually how long it takes for, for different players to, uh, to be ready or not. So and it's still an aggressive timeline for an ACL injury to think he could be back in close to eight months from when he got the surgery, right? Was there... You know, if you had a do-over, would you have done it differently? I believe that uh, some players have been back uh, earlier. Uh, and as I said, uh, this is always a conversation between uh, the player and the agent and, and myself and our doctor. So that was something that uh, that was, uh, you know, decided back then. Well, I mean, he's not wrong in that different players feel differently. And he's not wrong that some players are back prior to eight months. But the fact that he wouldn't answer Farhan's question about if you could have, would you have done things differently, says it all here. Blake, you had time. You chose not to use it. 
and now you've compromised the player for the start of this season. Would love to be a fly on the wall back then. Like, was one side or the other pushing for surgery, and the other, and one other side denied well, there's, it? There's I no mean, we'll way the player was pushing for surgery, and the club said no. There, that there's just no way. No, unlikely. But so, what, what's more like it? What, I guess the the bigger wonder then is at what point was surgery first suggested to Ilya Mikheyev? And at what point did they say, hey, are you game to it now? Because if that was December the 1st and Ilya Mikheyev won the argument until he did, then, I mean, what what why are you letting him win the argument? Yeah. No, sorry, son. You're going to have surgery and you're going to be ready for the start of next year. We need you full go from day one next year. So we're not going to sit there and let you play on a partially torn ACL for a team that's 13th in the Western Conference standings. Come on. I I mean, it's sort of managing 101. Mm -hmm. They failed a kindergarten test on this one. As for the final roster and the gymnastics yet to perhaps to come, and Alvina said they're not going to make a transaction today, but they got a bit of a flu, blu- a flu bug going around, and some of us know that quite well. <laughs> it me yeah. myself. Yeah. Not exactly feeling great myself, but um, 11 forwards and five defensemen <laughs> at practice the day before the season. Like, this team, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, um, and, and and Jim Rutherford, to be fair to Jim Rutherford, there's been a bunch of Jim Rutherford quotes since he got here that really are innocent, but they've come back to haunt him by circumstance. Like really the same, that bunch of things need to go right to me, completely reasonable thing to say when he said it, but he, he's just going to be haunted by it a little bit. Well, because, yeah. You know, cause shit happens. Yeah. It does. And I, shit's happening already yeah. for this team. <laughs> and so it's, it's already looking again, unfairly bad on Jim Rutherford. Cause again, uh-huh. it was kind of a throwaway quote that we, you know, we all say in everyday life, Yeah, but of course it's not going right, right away. Honestly. Uh, yes. Um, no, quite, quite good analysis, Blake. Like I, 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 I do think, Look, I think when Jim Rutherford got here, he built up a lot of equity with the fans by being kind of the straight talk express, right? And telling them what they wanted to hear and telling them about, you know, how things were going to be different. And I do think he just can't help himself when those microphones are on. He's a gentleman of a certain age with a number of credentials, including the Hockey Hall of Fame and Stanley Cup rings. I think he, you know, he's probably at the position in life where he feels like he can say some things that maybe the next manager or the next president of hockey operations can't say quite as cleanly. Um, and I do think he was being quite honest when he talked about how everything had to be right. I think he probably looks at this team and goes, yeah, that's probably a marginal playoff team. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't necessarily think he nor Alvin, frankly, have completely gotten to know Vancouver and British Columbia and Canucks fans. I think they're managing as though they would manage anywhere and not necessarily understanding the specifics of this market. And one of the specifics we know of this market is Canucks luck. And as Don Taylor always says, impending doom, right? The franchise always seems to be one corner away 
from some sort of crisis, disaster, you know, bad fortune. Yep. And so I can understand why many in Canuck, uh, in, in Canuck Nation and many on Canuck's Twitter are uh, poking some fun on this. Let's hear from the manager, Patrick Alvine, on Vasily Putkolson, who is up with the club right now for the moment, and Niels Hoaglander. I think the coaches wanted to set them up uh, for succeed and, and uh, have them surrounded by veteran uh, players and, and leadership players as Petey and Miller here. So um, I think what Colson uh, coming in had a, a really good uh, summer, uh, stronger, confident. Uh, when we started to play games, I thought he... Uh, squeezed his stick a little bit, uh, wasn't able to uh, create uh, the way he's, he's capable of doing. And uh, as the camp moved along here, there were other players that uh, that outperformed him. And uh, we felt as a staff that uh, the best thing for him to develop into the, the, the NHL player that he's capable of being was to uh, go down to Abbotsford and, and continue to work on his game there. And, Nil, and Nil, Nils, uh, I think, again, uh, top five in fitness testing, uh, really committed this summer. Uh, again, uh, just shows uh, how competitive it is uh, to get on this, uh, this roster right now. <laughs> well, not when you have 11 forwards, Patrick, but I, I hear what he's saying. I think it was an honest assessment on but Colson, as we said, we don't necessarily think these are physical problems with Vasily. It is just seems like a player who's lost right now and lacking a little bit of confidence, and he got bypassed as the camp went on. Glad to hear Hoaglander is high up on fitness testing. Let's hope the defensive detail is there, because if the defensive detail is there, I think he brings enough in terms of being a corner guy, a puck retrieval guy, a buzzsaw in the offensive zone that he can fit and be an asset for you. He just can't be the guy who's making mistakes and getting caught defensively. So if he's got that side of the puck a little bit better than what we've seen in the past, then I'm looking uh, then I'm looking at Nils Hoaglander to have a good season, establish himself as a regular NHL, and maybe even have that breakout that we've all been waiting for since he was the story at camp several years ago heading into the Canadian bubble. Division. Well, so often defensive detail is a result of a lack of good fitness, actually, because playing defense is hard. It's a lot harder to play defense uh, than it is to play on offense. So the fact that he's got a good baseline there to work from leads you to believe, uh, you know, if that motor that we've seen run at such a high level, it can run as high as we've seen in the offensive zone as it is in the defensive zone, then that's great. Uh, then I would suspect he's uh he's on the right track now just iq and intelligence is you know that's going to play a role to some degree too you, you have to work smart as well as work hard but the working hard is often the biggest impediment to a player playing decent defense so bluger is either hurt or has the flu he uh, seemed bothered and we think it's a foot it was actually the same shift that Carson Soucy got hurt Friday in the preseason finale against the Flames. So needless to say, if Bluger can't go tomorrow, I think you're seeing Nils Oman return to play the center spot there. And as for defense, um, I mean, suspect Hiroshi will be recalled to play for Breezeball since Breezeball is missing practice again today. And we know that one's an injury. 
uh, uh, well, I mean, I guess I should allow for the fact he's recovered from the injury and now got the flu <laughs> because that is something that could happen with the Vancouver Canucks. Like just as we're recording this and having this discussion, our boy Farhan bullet point tweet injuries to McKay of Susie Breeze one Bluger cap gymnastics on day one flu bug Garland's agent has permission to look for a trade is the team committed to EP 40 this team hand over face emoji so Honestly, we're, we're not the only ones no. going wait a second this was supposed to be a return to normalcy this year you were just supposed to be this boring low event better at penalty killing club that had a healthy goaltender, maybe didn't score enough, but at least was going to be competitive through October. And here we are on the eve of the season and all this shit is flying. Honestly, I I used to um, put a lot of blame on Jim Benning for the craziness of this team. Um, Just that, you know, it starts at the top and really in hockey ops for him, he was really the top for his time. Yeah, but that's not the top of this franchise. But again, how much does that guy leak down onto the day-to-day of the office? I think a lot, Blake. I would think a lot. I would think I, a lot. Because he's in the year, he's he's in the year of the managers every single day. He wants to hang out with the players. So yeah, I, I, I think a lot. I think a lot. It, 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 like the cap gymnastics and that sort of stuff and, and who oh, they're the playing injuries. in preseason games. Um, I mean, that's no, not, that's, no, that that's, that's not him. That's not him. Nor, nor is injuries or flu bugs. No, no. It, 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 like to be fair, Canuck luck is, is just a thing. It seems right now they're, they're on it. And eventually that does even out. Eventually you have a season where, Hey, you led the league in fewest man games, lost injury. Um, Canucks will look forward to that day. Well, um, I mean, <laughs> Their skaters were very healthy last year. Their best skaters. Yeah. No, you're right. They they just weren't good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were decent. The goaltending was a problem. And the defending and the penalty killing was a was a problem. Those are players. Those are players. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's true. And, And like, here's the funny thing. You know, I saw Kuzma's article in the province yesterday. And he spoke to Studnika and he spoke to Willanen. And like, to me, two terrific quotes from guys who have just been dealt a shit sandwich and, and, and guys who are going to fight like hell to get back here. Stanika, the way I was raised, shit is not going to be easy. Challenges in your life are a good thing. Well, Lennon, this game will kick you in the teeth and the NHL will chew you up and spit you out. I take pride to ride on. I was like, Wow. What attitudes on, you know, the day where it was clear that the organization didn't think you were good enough. And in the case of Stanika, you know, specifically went out to replace you with a guy who I'm sure you look around if you're Jack Stanika and go, really? Make a trade and spend a draft pick to get this guy in and he's better than me. Okay. Yeah. We'll see if they got the bit between their teeth and they go on to have good results there in Abbotsford when the AHL season goes on. And as we know, Christian Willana was the American Hockey League defenseman of the year last year. So uh, I, I can't imagine either guy's too, too far away from a call-up, especially if Stednika shows what he showed in preseason and training camp where he was very good early, maybe faded a little bit, but very good early. And especially with where they are health-wise on the blue line and Willana being able to help there. 
BC Lions in Hamilton Friday, and we'll see about the health of Smoke Mizell, their running back. Saw Vernon Adams with a very nice tweet yesterday. Happy Thanksgiving, Canada. I'm thankful for the opportunities this country has given me. I love it here. You know, joked about it so many times, uh, especially with, you know, veteran CFL players or coaches that, you know, everyone comes up here from the NFL with a chip on their shoulder. They're going to dominate. They're just here for a minute until they get back to the league. A lot of guys wind up staying here much longer than a minute. And a lot of guys just find themselves falling in love with Canada after a time in, after their time in the CFL. So it wasn't surprised to see that from Vernon. Uh, one thing we didn't know yesterday and should. So the Bombers have a bye this Friday. As we know, the Lions have a bye in the final week of the CFL regular season. So BC can prolong the fight here for first place and intimidate a little bit, right? If they win, it looks a little bit less certain for the bombers as they go to battle each week. Right. Right. And, um, if I'm not mistaken, Winnipeg came back off a buy and laid an egg earlier in the year. So BC wins in Hamilton. They're still alive for first place in the West. And that would force Winnipeg, uh, to win one of their next two. And of course, BC has to win their final game as well. So we'll see if they've got a little bit more, uh, a little more drama in terms of the top of the West, uh, although it's very it's very long odds that it's going to be BC hosting that West final. Baseball got good again last night, and what a double play from Atlanta to end the game. Did oh, you see that? That was oh. incredible. I mean, Michael Harris with a Devon White, Willie Mays moment in center field there to make the catch, but then the turnaround and fire and the Braves to double off. Bryce Harper at yeah, first base. The comeback to even get there too. Exactly. Like the Phillies going up and home runs from Travis Darno and Austin Riley. And, and and here's the thing. Bryce Harper did the right thing because you've got to be able to score on that ball and bring bring the tying run home. If he hesitates to wait and see if it's caught, he's probably not scoring on that play. And then they need another then they need another hit. Um, but he was right to take off. And what a play from the Brace to double them off. Uh, it was fun last night. LA's now down to love to Arizona, and the Diamondbacks are going home, and Texas up to nothing over Baltimore. So they caused a Richter scale moment in Atlanta. Did they really? Did yes, it did it yeah. register? It was yeah. a it was yeah. a beast quake, was it? Yes, yes. Marshawn would be proud. And then, gentlemen, I saved this for the two of you. Did you hear what the uh, the Rangers song is? The rally song? I'm scared. No. Or the, or the rally band, if you will. What? At MLB Life. The Rangers have been listening to Creed in the clubhouse oh to God. get hyped for games. According to pitcher Andrew Heaney, it started when they were struggling in the second half of the season. He said he hopes that Creed is playing throughout the ballpark before their home games this week because it would fire the team up if the fans started singing along. Wow. Texas and their big bands, right? They love their big stadium rock, does Texas. Uh, I would like to think from this podcast to the ears of the Rangers, and the DJ has already tweeted, it is in the queue to play some Creed. I would also like to think. Is it higher? Is that the song? I think it's higher. It may just be the Creed catalog, Blake. Yes, who knows? Um, I would also like to think, yeah, they were probably inspired by that 
unforgettable Thanksgiving Day performance from Creed at the Dallas Cowboys game. I would also like to hope that it started as a as an ironic uh, song to play, and uh, it's just be hooked in. I I hope nobody's like this song rocks. Let's get inspired by Creed. I, <laughs> like, I, come on, I Blake. Hope You've been in baseball case. clubhouses. You know there's a guy in there. Who's a Creed Pro- fan? Probably a relief yeah. pitcher from rural Alabama or somewhere like that going, yeah. my turn, my turn to run the music tonight, and we're playing some Creed. Let me get my ribbons out. <laughs> Let's get to today's menu brought to you by AG1. If they had just gone to AG1, I would have been uh, less corruptive on your eardrums uh, than than playing Creed. Uh, it can give you a lift, and it makes you feel like you're taking care of your body for sure. Go to AG1, drinkag1.com, drinkag1.com, slash Sakara Surprise. We'll get you started with a special offer. Like, it can give you a lift, but can it take you higher? This is This is the question for some. We got to welcome Matt today with Canucks predictions. We got a prices reg coming up later with Canucks predi- predictions. Jay Pat as well on everything that's swirling around this team and his predictions. Sean Shannon going to stop by and we'll get to some hashtags on, uh, well, Tampa and Vegas, the usual sp- suspects and the way they've managed the cap. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here, right now. Well, predictions for the Canucks season 23-24. Standings points, a 90. Just about everybody looks at them and thinks them improved, but how improved? They missed the playoffs by 12 points last year, 83 points to 95, finishing behind two other non-qualifiers. Now, healthy and better goaltending and penalty killing will go a long way towards improvement. But will they score as much, either at even strength or on the power play? And will they stay healthy? And that's the big one here. We saw how crippling a Thatcher Demko injury was last season. A similar injury to Elise Pedersen, JT Miller, Quinn Hughes, Almost as devastating. Those three guys were blessed with great health last year. They missed a combined eight games. Wouldn't surprise me if someone in the core four misses significant time this year. Hey, it's the NHL. Injuries happen, particularly to this franchise, particularly when you're traveling as much as this team travels. And they still don't have the depth to withstand that. So going 90 points, sixth in the Pacific. I think Edmonton and Vegas are locks at the top of that division. L.A. isn't too far behind. I'm not sure how much staying power Seattle has as a 100-point team because of that high shooting percentage last year. They were 11.6% second in the NHL. And I'm also not necessarily sold on the crack in goaltending, but Seattle was 17 points better than Vancouver last year. That's a pretty big jump. 
Calgary. They lost 31 goal games last year. I like Seattle's shooting percentage. I just can't see that happening again. I think the Flames will benefit from not having Daryl Sutter behind the bench and a happier environment. They also have some important players playing for new contracts. And if 33-year-old ex-Canuck Jacob Markstrom struggles in goal, well, they've got depth behind him. So I don't see the Cucks improving their lot in what I still think is a pretty good Pacific division. Leading scorer, Elias Patterson. I was tempted to go Miller or Hughes here, but we'll save the bold predictions for for later. Uh, Patterson records his second straight 100-point season. I do think he will eclipse 100 points and again finish in the NHL top 10. I'm going to give him 101, perhaps fewer even-strength goals and shorthanded points, but maybe more power play goals than last year. Team MVP, Thatcher Demko. He's the most important player at the most important position, and the Canucks aren't yet improved enough in personnel to make life easier on him. Easier, perhaps, but not easy. That'll lead to heroics and to team MVP votes. As for my bold prediction, Quinn Hughes leads NHL defensemen in scoring. He finished third last year, and he probably needs another Kale McCarr injury to make this prediction come true. Now, Eric Carlson, I think, is bound to come down, way down, from his 101 points last year because he's on a better team. He won't have the freedom to explore offense at all times like last season in San Jose where, let's face it, the scoreboard didn't often matter. Hughes looked aggressive in this preseason, particularly looking for his own shot. So I see an uptick in goals, not to mention a little more freedom with a better defensive partner, whomever that may be. That's welcome, Matt, for today. We invite your feedback, feedback channels as follows on email, live at securesomeprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox. On Twitter, at Matt Sikaris, at Sikarison Price. And the welcome at a presentation of Great Clips, the official hair salon of the NHL, 37 salons in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, neighborhood brewing, workshop spirits, and Yellow Dog has been brewing up a little surprise. Angry Otter Lager. It's a crisp, clean, and crushable lager enjoyed by dogs and otters alike. You can find this tasty brew at all Angry Otter locations. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Joined now by Rinkwide's Jeff Patterson, our Canucks reporter, and Jeff playing to, uh, to discuss here at evening Canucks season on the opening night of the NHL season. Uh, I want to start with that. I want to start with that bombshell drop by Elliot Friedman. That if Pedersen isn't sure, maybe the Vancouver Canucks are not sure. And whoa, when I hear that, I hear that maybe somebody's ego is out of joint um, and not necessarily realizing that this guy is the most important part, not necessarily the ego considerations. What was your reaction to the Canucks? Maybe not sure themselves if they want to lead us here long term. Well, I, I'm having trouble figuring out which part of Elias Pettersson they don't want to commit to long term. Because uh, 102 points seems like the kind of guy that you might want to hit your wagon to. Uh, and look, I have very few doubts that Elias Pettersson is going to have another fine season. Is he going to get to 102? 
Maybe not. I think the style that Rick Tockett uh, wants this team to deploy, we saw in the preseason that there wasn't a ton of offense. Pedersen himself didn't have a, a great preseason. He scored the one goal against the Edmonton Oilers. But, you know, it just comes back to me that it, it felt like on a lot of levels, the temperature and the volume uh, around this team when it came to dysfunction had been lowered. And then this on the eve and the doorstep of a new season, I go back to what Jim Rutherford said about everything going right for the hockey club. And, you know, Pedersen himself talked about uh, not wanting the contract to be a distraction. This wasn't Elias Pedersen speaking. This was uh, the voice on the other side of the table. So, again, you know, they can all say they don't want it to be a distraction. And here this is already before the puck has dropped on game one is this cloud of uncertainty that continues to hover over uh, this player, his future here, and in turn, the hockey club as a whole. So it's not what the Vancouver Canucks needed, but... You know, it does make you think, uh, do they have reservations about Elias Pettersson? I mean, obviously, there's a dollar figure that makes it uh, untenable, I suppose. But, boy, if he backs up 102 points with anything close to that, uh, I think he could just stand there with a blank check and say, sign it, uh, or maybe it's time to, to move elsewhere. I, I'm not meaning, I'm not meaning to refute Elliot Freeman because well, I don't even think it was necessarily a report. I think it was him sort of spitballing to some degree. But I'm gonna just going to say, guys, I, I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe that the Canucks are not committed to Elias Patterson. I don't believe that the Canucks don't believe in Elias Patterson. And do they think that his agent is asking for too much right now? That's very possible, but that happens in every negotiation. I don't think this speaks to the long-term interest of the Canucks in Elias Patterson at all. I don't believe that. Well, again, I, it shouldn't. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it caught me off guard like everybody else, and I don't think Elliot's making this stuff up. I wouldn't suggest that for a second. So I do think that, uh, you know, he's as informed as anybody that covers uh, this league and that information came from somewhere. Uh, so, you know. I think it came from the owner, guys. I think that's his source with the team. I think Francesco has long talked to Elliot, and I think Francesco's ego is out of joint that Elias Patterson is unsigned on the eve of the season and needs more time to look at this Canucks franchise and see if they're going in the right direction. I also think it's quite right. And Frank Saravelli has told us this in the past that the Canucks have not yet gotten to the number figure uh, that will get Elias Pettersson to resign. And guys, this is all happening uh, in a context of Rasmus Dahlin resigning in Buffalo. And of course, mm -hmm. the Winnipeg Jets getting Connor Hellebuck and Mark Shifley resigned. And you can argue with those contracts and maybe say they're too much and Hellebuck and Shifley are, are too old. But the bottom line is other teams are getting their business done and locking their stars up on the eve of the season while the Vancouver Canucks twiddle their fingers and hope Elias signs at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's, again, this uncertainty that we all talked about all summer and people didn't want to hear about because it was the offseason and they had time on their side. But now we have arrived at the start of the season. And so if Elias Patterson gets off to a slow start, like, it's human nature that this would be in the back of his mind somewhere yeah. about the future, the contract, the dollar amounts. Like he's already made a ton of dough, but he is setting himself up for the rest of his life, his family's life. All oh, like this is big time stuff. And you can imagine if this is weighing on him in any way. And so uh, his start is tied directly to this team start. We know the importance thereof for the Vancouver Canucks. So the people that want this to be swept under the rug, like they have to give their, their head a shake. They're the ones that aren't living 
in the reality that this kind of stuff does impact players at the highest level. And you're right. Other teams were able to get their business done before the season started. And for the Vancouver Canucks, this is going to be an ongoing saga that they had an opportunity to nip in the bud, but uh, have elected not. Before we leave this, before, before we leave this, do you believe that they will honestly wait till the end of the season? Or would you be surprised at all if, you know, November 15th, a contract gets signed, January 11th, a contract gets signed. Do you think they're going to live by that? I won't be shocked if a deal comes out of the blue, but at the same time, like there are two sides to this negotiation and Pedersen's made it pretty clear that he wants to take a wait and see approach. Obviously he's a huge part of the start and the overall success of the season. But again, if things go sideways and we saw quickly last year, uh, how it can you know slip out of control. And really the year before that, the 25 game mark where they had to undergo the entire uh, house cleaning, you know, I do think that Elias Patterson is in a bit of a wait-and-see mode here, but we also know that Patrick Alvin seems to like the element of surprise. The JT Miller contract came out of nowhere. Brock Besser heading into, was it the Easter long weekend or whenever they got that deal done? You know, the Horvat deal, we all kind of thought uh, we could let our guard down for the All-Star break, and boom, on the Monday, uh, Bo Horvat's no longer a member of the Vancouver Canucks. So the Canucks seem to like to operate in that regard if a Patterson deal materialized. I... I I find it hard to believe that somebody wouldn't catch wind of it somewhere along the way. But again, I do think that there's some history with this management group of trying uh, their best to keep the negotiations, uh, you know, keep a lid on them. Yeah, I mean, I think it would behoove them. We know what the salary cap is going to be roughly next year. They certainly have um, the space, finally, to be able to offer the massive deal. And I think it's going to take one to get them signed. So we'll see where this goes during the season. But on the eve of the season, some not great signs with regards to Elias Pettersson. Also not great signs with regards to uh, Ilya Mikheyev because he's not ready to go. Uh, I'm sure you saw Dan Milstein's tweet on yep. uh, uh, last night, Jeff. What do you make of this Mikheyev situation, and when do you think he might be available to play for the Canucks watching him at practice? Yeah, I, I wish Milstein had uh, cleared up a little more. The, the tweet started with, I want to clear things up, and then it really didn't add an awful lot other than everybody heals at their own rate, but I think we already knew that. Look, I have watched Ilya Mikheyev now for the better part of a couple of weeks to the eye in straight lines. Like He looks like he's up to speed. He joked on Sunday that he thinks he's faster now, that uh, he's been uh, mechanically healed, the bionic man, if you will. Uh, but... You know, it's baby steps. The, they just cleared him to start engaging in some contract at practice over the weekend and said that he's not going to be ready. The word around the rink was a couple of weeks still for Mikheyev. So, uh, they're, you know, they started home against the Oilers, then they're out on the road for five. Uh, you know, could he join them at some point of the road trip? That would take them a couple of weeks into the season. Uh, are you better served just to let him stay behind and rehab here uh, with the training staff and hope that he can get up and running when they come off the road. Uh, whatever the case, I mean, it's disappointing. It's got to be disappointing for him. It's got to be disappointing for the hockey club. Again, the questions remain about why the surgery was delayed until uh, early February when a lot of people with more intricate knowledge of the procedure and the recovery times uh, than I have said, like, you know, this is going to be at least nine months. And for a lot of guys, it's a full calendar year before they're feeling good and feeling right. And, you know, speed is his meal ticket. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's frustrating and disappointing, I'm sure, for a lot of people involved. But the bottom line is the Canucks are without one of their top six wingers. And we saw in the preseason that goals were hard to come by. Uh, not that uh, I'm expecting huge numbers from Ilya Mikheyev, but I, I do think if he was able to stay healthy, and, and that's been the thing, guys. I mean, he's never played more than 54 games in an NHL season in his career. So it's really, it is hard to project 
you know, what to expect. But boy, you saw the auditions through preseason for a winger to play with uh, Pedersen and Kuzmenko, and nobody grabbed the brass ring. So certainly there's a spot waiting there. If Ilya Mikheyev was able to play a full season there, I'd like to think that he could be 20 to 25 goals for the Vancouver Canucks, plus add utility elsewhere. But uh, they're going to have to start without him. And a team that's not particularly quick to begin with is now without one of its fastest players uh, who isn't 100%. And if uh, you think not getting Pedersen signed is uh, goes on the minus sheet of this management group's ledger, this one is absolutely a mistake now because you needed to have him ready for the start of this season and letting him play as long as they did on that partially torn ACL last year. Um, still baffles me. Still don't know how and why that conclusion got reached because it was, Jeff, a, poor, it was a poor one. Jeff, what about but, all the other twos and fros there over the weekend? Um, do we give the team credit for uh, getting the puzzle pieces almost perfectly there uh, to get the LTA, uh, not the LTA, to get the, the overage right here for the salary cap? Or, or do we think that this is uh, uh, something that, you know, underlines the cap issues that this team has and that they've uh, they've filled up the uh, the bank account too much after getting that space from Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah, well, I mean, that was June and here we are in October and all of that money uh, has evaporated to the point where they did have to do some salary cap gymnastics to set their opening and it's their season opening roster. I, I, again, it's sort of semantics here, but because they don't play till Wednesday, the players that were on that roster on Monday afternoon at the league deadline there could be some changes when the Canucks hit the ice against the Oilers. So let's wait and see on that one. But, you know, the fact that they had to start with a 22-man roster and not the full complement of players, again, tells you just how up against the cap that uh, this team continues to operate despite its stated objective of freeing up salary cap space, which we know isn't easy to do. But uh, we've heard it an awful lot, and yet there haven't been steps in that direction. And then over the weekend, they had another contract in Sam Lafferty, uh, and I'll be curious to see where Lafferty slots in in this lineup for the Vancouver Canucks. We know how much uh, Rick Tockett likes PDG and what he's brought to the second line. I just mentioned an opening on the t- like. Can you imagine if Sam Lafferty was acquired and is plugged in as a right winger for Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko because they like bite and size and physical play and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see where Lafferty ultimately slots into all of this. But yeah. Um, you know, again, they operate like they are right there knocking on the door of contending, and yet we know that they haven't been a playoff team for three years, and through it all, they haven't been able to clear up salary cap space. They still have all these players uh, and all these wingers that we question, whether it's Brock Besser or Connor Garland or Anthony Bavillier. We talked about Mikheyev, what's he, and you know, in all of this mix. And so there are a ton of question marks. Uh, you know, will one of those guys that I just mentioned, will somebody rise up and finally have the kind of offensive season uh, that we've been talking about for a while now. Will Besser get to 30? Can Garland get to 20 for the first time in a Vancouver Canuck uniform? You know, I don't know what to make of Bavillier, and the, he was awfully quiet in the preseason, and obviously a contract year for him. So, um, yeah, I mean, right up against the cap, uh, going with one under the limit. Mikheyev goes on IR. Uh, Tucker Pullman, to the surprise of nobody, is on long-term and will stay there and is probably done as a National Hockey Leaguer. But uh, ultimately, what their lineup looks like for Wednesday against the Edmonton Oilers, I think we're going to have to take a a little bit of a wait-and-see approach there. Yeah, and just so people know, uh, Colson was called up, as Hart Levine of Puckbedia pointed out, because he could get them $28,000 away from maximizing the LTIR capture on Pullman. So I would suspect you were going to see Pud Colson sent back down because I, ple- I believe the coach was pretty emphatic 
with regards to to what Pud Colson needs. So just before anyone gets excited, no, but I, I'm just I think it's instructive too, though, that the way this all worked, like it looks like Niels Hoaglander is going to be in the opening night lineup yep. uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, and this is a guy that had, let's be honest, a pretty underwhelming preseason, and we talked about Pud Colson as well. Both of those guys. And paperwork, at least, they're on that season opening roster. I'm with you about Pod Colson. They've said that they want him to be down in Abbotsford and just to stay down there. And he wasn't called up for the preseason game out in Abbotsford last week. And Rick Tockett sort of elaborated on all of that. But uh, the numbers fit, and it is uh, it, no question. Uh, it's a puzzle piece to try to get as close as you can to that 83.5. And they didn't get as close as they did last year. They Remember, they won the Salary Cap Cup last year. Yes, uh, yeah, when I think it was zero. I, think, I think they hit it on the number uh, this year, a couple of thousand. They'll unfurl the banner tomorrow yes. night, right? So, yes. I, I, I hope they, they do that. The other thing to, to keep in mind is they've obviously acquired another body in Sam Lafferty. But at the same time, guys, I do think guys like Niels Oman played their way off this roster. Like I, I'll be surprised if Oman is one of the guys that gets recalled back up for the opening night uh, lineup. Um, I, you know, that's the one five percent chance I give to Pod Coles and being in the opening lineup is. I think other guys have played their way off this lineup as well here, at least to start the season. No, I mean, look, we can go through this long list of Hoglander and Pod Coles and. Uh, Atu Ratu, there were higher hopes for him to at least yeah. rise up and make some kind of statement. Studnika skated around really fast, but there was no ultimately no takeaway for him. He's not on this team. And Nils Amon, the only thing that might get him on back is A, his size, and Rick Tockett seems to value his, his big forwards. He's got some versatility. He played center last year. He was shifted to the wing through most of the preseason. But if there's any question about Teddy Bluger and his readiness after, uh, you know, skipping practice on Sunday and the bruised foot the other night, Amon at least gives the Canucks one more guy that has some NHL center ice experience, but Sam Lafferty does as well. And I guess Lafferty uh, could get plugged in in a pinch if uh, that's the direction that they want to go. But uh, yeah, I, I'm fully expecting that Vasily Podkolzin is going to start the season down in Abbotsford. We'll see if he spends the season down in Abbotsford or if something finally clicks for him and he is able to play his way back to the National Hockey League. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right there. Oman, if Bluger can't go with Hoaglander in and Pod Colson on the sidelines, and I also think uh, Hiroshi, if, if Breesbach can't go. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what they do over here over the next 24, 48 hours. Okay, Jeff, it's that time of year. We've come to predictions here with the Vancouver Canucks. we got five categories here. Points, predicted finish, leading scorer, MVP, and a bold prediction, sir. Let's start with points. How many points do you have? 83 last year. How many for the Canucks this year? Uh, I think they're a better team, and I think that'll be reflected in the standings. Is it going to be enough to get them above the playoff bar? I'll answer that in a sec. But I think that they will be in the 89 to 91 range. So, spoiler alert, uh, I don't have them making the playoffs. Oh, so what? what's that? Is that sixth in the Pacific for you? Yeah, I, look, I, I think Edmonton and Vegas have separated themselves. I like LA. I think the trajectory of the Kings is in the right direction. I, I think it's possible that Seattle could take a slight step back, but I don't think they're taking a, a precipitous drop, uh, just the way that Dave Haxtell has them playing and the confidence they gained last year. Calgary's a wild card. We talked about that with the Flames in town last week. No real game breaker. Lots of really good pieces there, but uh, it's more about the breath of fresh air around that team and what that can do for a lot of the players that were tired of Daryl and and all that went on, uh, I, you know, so I think the Canucks kind of jockey with Calgary and Seattle, but in the end, I think the Canucks are better than they were last year points wise, but I still think that uh, they've got work to do to certainly be a playoff team in the Pacific division. I think they'll be in the wildcard chase for a while, but uh, in the end, we'll come up just a little bit short. 
leading scorer? It's got to be Pedersen. I, I just don't know how, uh, I mean, be wild if uh, somebody like Quinn Hughes could uh, push Elias Pettersson. And of course, health plays into all of this. But I am fully banking on Elias Pettersson picking up where he left off. Again, I don't know that he's going to get to 100 points in Rick Tockett's lower event system, but I'm expecting another big season, a motivated, driven uh, Elias Pettersson with that contract in the back of his mind. So I think he's your leading scorer. I'm going to say that he's uh, he just kind of like the team. I think he'll get just over uh, the 90-point mark. Okay, uh, team MVP, same guy? Uh, no, I'll go with Demko. I think uh, if this team is going to hold its own and somehow be there in the end, uh, I think they're going to lean on Thatcher Demko early. I think they're going to need him down the stretch. He's going to play and play a bunch, and, and it'll be interesting to see how Rick Tockett and Ian Clark go about uh, finding him his nights off. Um you know, he was banging on the door two seasons ago of being in the conversation of best goaltenders in the NHL, not maybe the truly elite. Uh, he showed that form down the stretch. I thought he had a really nice preseason, didn't play an awful lot, but the games that he did, he looked sharp and solid. I do think this team has improved around him and so that the workload within the games, he's not going to be stretched post to post all the time and making five alarm saves. I, I think Thatcher Demko Ultimately, if this team does have some modicum of success, it's going to be on the back of uh, of Thatcher Demko. So I think he'll be the team MVP. Yeah, I'm with you on a lot of these. So your bold prediction, Jeff, and I sure hope it's not similar to mine. Or Blake's, what you got? Oh, um, how about the fact that JT Miller accepts this role as a two-way legitimate matchup shutdown kind of centerman puts the points aside and frees up Elias Pettersson to draw the more favorable matchups and, and allows Pettersson to, to do his thing. Um, how about just a, a kind of, uh, dare I say, run-of-the-mill kind of season for JT Miller, but one that uh, has very little drama, uh, more ups than downs, just in terms of his overall performance and contribution to the hockey club. My bold prediction then is that we don't really talk an awful lot about JT Miller this season as we have. That's really uh, bold. That, for too I, that's much a, of the last two years. That's a very unique, bold prediction. I uh, I did not have that one on my ledger. Uh, no, nor did I. And uh, yes, that one is going to be unique, I think, to Jeff. It all gets going tomorrow, and uh, all of us will be involved uh, with Rank White tomorrow with you, Jeff. So looking forward to it. Thank you for this. All right, guys. Thank you. Secure some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group, and hashtag C. Best and worst of Twitter is brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason.mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage but still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution where you keep your great rate and you access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. If your mortgage is up in the next six months, now is the time to reach out. Find him at Jason.mortgage. Uh, Going to start with at JT Bourne. The career starting schedule for Connor Bedard is absolutely wild. At Crosby and the Penguins, back to back with the Bruins in Boston, Saturday night at the Bell Center in Montreal, closing with Monday at the Leafs in Toronto. First seven days, welcome to the league, kid. He then goes on to say, I should note, they then play in Colorado versus the 22 Cup champs, then back to back, finally at home 
versus the 23 cup champs golden knights and then boston and then vegas again welcome dot two dot yeah. uh, dot league wow. it's uh it's a it's a murderer's row for poor connor bedard well what i will say is you know the nhl realizes it's sitting on a star here and so why not get them to the bigger markets and to the marquee matchups early on um uh, blake he was on uh um was he on espn's first take yesterday i was it if i'm that, not yeah. mistaken yeah so He's um he's starting to make the rounds in terms of big U.S. national media appointments. So we'll uh, we'll see how he does. And yeah, good on the NHL for getting him in these marquee matchups. I'm quite interested to see uh, how he does here in the early going. At Puckpedia, they did it again, and there's no oops here. The Bolts signed Watson for seven hundred seventy six thousand six hundred and sixty five dollars. Why so specific? You might ask. They now have a roster that's 7.6 and change over the cap. $2 less than the cap hit for LTIR Seabrook and Brown. Did you know Seabrook was a Tampa Bay Lightning play? Oh, uh, they optimize LTIR within $2. Can then put Vasilevsky on LTIR and gain $9.5 million in space. So once again, Tampa is likely going to be playing eight digits high of the salary cap if they manage to put an extra five hundred grand on the five nine point five million dollars in space that they're accruing with Vasilevsky in the early going. And I gotta say, it is becoming the measure, or at least one of the things to look for when picking a Stanley Cup champion. How much can you get over and above the salary cap with your LTIR space? And of course, do you play in a tax-free jurisdiction, income tax-free jurisdiction, which, of course, Tampa does? Which brings me to this one, Blake, at Cap Friendly. This is only the second time we've ever seen a perfect LTIR placement. Vegas Born has a perfect LTIR upper limit of 83.5. They didn't waste a single dollar. Perfect capture for Vegas. It is on a roster of 22, four on IR slash LTIR, one on season opening injured reserve, 49 contracts, Eighty-nine million two hundred and sixty-two thousand five hundred, so almost six million over and above the actual salary cap with the way they've structured their cap. It's uh, you know, it's it's a confusing league. Uh, you know, it doesn't really welcome a casual hockey fan to understand any of this stuff. No, nope. and um, I wish it was a little bit different. Honestly, um, overall, I saw um a, a tweet about this today. 28 NHL players don't have jobs because, uh, like the Canucks, they're 22 yeah. guys instead of 23 guys. There, there could be 28 more National Hockey League players today than there actually are because of the cap gymnastics that teams have been yeah. forced to do. And you can blame Batman there. You can blame the GMs of these teams for just spending too much money and getting crazy. Um, there's plane to go around, I suppose, but those guys are both on the same team. Batman you can the blame Panthers. the pandemic as well, right? Yeah, Which uh, I guess for, for repressed plateauing. NHL revenue. But uh, again, there was a world where you could have had the players pay off their debt this year and raise the salary cap and, and Batman and the governors chose not to do that. Yeah. At Walsh, A. Allen Walsh, the player agent, Gary Bettman has once again failed the game. This abhorrent backsliding by banning pride tape goes against the very essence of hockey is for everyone, quote-unquote. 
I'm disgusted. Uh, this after uh, memos went out from the NHL uh, saying that you cannot be uh, even pride adjacent in your company policies or actions. Um, they really don't want to see it anywhere. Uh, out Sports uh, has called it the don't say gay policy of the National Hockey League. And uh, what did you say, Matt, uh, to me off the air? That uh, Well, Dev- Devin Aru of CBC uh, points out that almost exactly one year ago today, the NHL published a first ever diversity and inclusion report. The report was, quote, part of a growing culture of accountability, transparency, and commitment to meaningful progress. Turns out it was not growing at all. In fact, it was shrinking and it shrunk down to nothing at this point. It's, uh, it's unbelievable, although heaven forbid you say the players should have any freedom to express themselves in any way shape or form because the hockey bros and social media oh my goodness for as brawny and as strong and as tough as these guys are on social media man does the sight of a rainbow just get to their very core it's like a cross in dracula honestly it is uh it's unbelievable how triggered these brawny tough hockey bros get yeah, and um, well, commitment to meaningful progress now seems like lip service or yeah, word service, but not. And and look, it's not changing without a change in leadership. Like you just need a better human being than Gary Bettman at the top of your sport. Mm-hmm. Lastly, for me at CF underscore depth charts, cap friendly depth charts. Five teams will start the season with three goalies on the roster: Buffalo, Detroit, Los Angeles, Montreal, and Philly. You'll remember Frank Saravelli told us on Friday. One of the things he was looking for was goaltenders on waivers and goaltenders being claimed off waivers. And it would appear to me that some of the teams have decided we're not going to make that decision yet. We'll just carry three goaltenders and we'll figure it out at some point after the season starts. So, which on the back of what, of what it's like did. a big game of chicken here. Who's going to yeah. play first in terms of waving a goaltender? But on the backs of what we just talked about with 28 players not getting jobs because of 22 man rosters and 21 man rosters, one team I think is at 20 man. Um, if there's a, a bunch of three team or a bunch of three goalie teams as well, there's more skaters off the off the roster than should normally be as well right so the skaters are probably losing their minds here a little bit but uh it's funny because we've talked about this too matt like what is the goalie like unless you've got a superstar goalie should you be bending over backwards to protect goalies are they worth the gymnastics and i don't know you know every situation is a little unique but you might be over in too much love with your goalie I, I don't think it's necessarily just to, you know about uh, a star goalie. I think it's about these teams have looked at the last few years, looked at how many goalies have been needed sure. to yeah. finish the season or in some cases get through and win a Stanley Cup and think we need three or four in a much more acute way than in previous years. Yeah. And that's hashtags for today. Joined now by the former executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada, the co-host of the Bob McCowan Podcast. It is John Shannon here with Sakarison Price. John, how are you? Hey, boys. Happy Tuesday. And to you, too, and happy uh, opening of the NHL season to you. Yeah, it is uh, it, it is kind of a, a special day. It always has been. Gosh, I, this goes back to uh, uh, 1977 for me uh, that I've been involved somehow some way and continue to be involved somehow some way in the National Hockey League season so it's it's always exciting I'm just glad the preseason's over (laughs) 
Yes, aren't we all? Um, you've seen a lot. How about this Bedard kid from North Vancouver? He's on the ice tonight against Sidney Crosby. What are your thoughts and hopes for him in his first season in the NHL? He's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, it, it's a he's been put in a tough spot uh, to go to Chicago. Uh, they've you know Kyle Davidson's done the right thing by surrounding him with some veteran players. Uh, you know, it looks like he's going to start the night with uh, Ryan Donato on one side and Taylor Hall on the other. Neither guy was with the Blackhawks last year. Uh, but to me, every story you hear about this young guy is that he's 28 going on 18 uh, or 18 going on 28, depending on how you look at it. He's, he's an absolute amazing person, let alone player, obviously uh, was uh, brought up properly by his mom and dad. Uh, and uh, there's, a, there's a ton of weight on his shoulders when you consider what the Blackhawks were, what they've gone through, and where they're going. And it sounds like he can take every ounce of that weight as a player and as a person. I mean, I'm intrigued as to what a guy his size can do in his first year because I, we think of the elite smaller players and it's generally been a slower launch. Uh, like Marty St. Louis needed a few years to, to figure out how to play uh, at the elite level. Even Jack Hughes, as special as he is, remember, pretty muted in his first couple of seasons. Do you think he can hit the ground running? Do you think he's a guaranteed 60-point guy? Hey, listen, the guy he plays against tonight uh, was pretty small when he started, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, Sidney Crosby is, is not six feet. Sidney Crosby is 5'10 on a good day. Um, now, Sidney Crosby is as thick as a redwood tree, but that's another story for but another so is, day. So and is I Connor Bedard. He's a big. Boy. I, I would uh, well, and I would I would assume that that will that will come with age as well. That he will become a thicker player. Um, you know, the the great thing about hockey, Blake, now is that it's not just a big man sport, uh, particularly the regular season. Uh, so I think I think he will manage. Well, I think his speed will keep him in good stead and his shot will keep everybody at bay. So the answer to, to your question is yes. The one thing I will tell you, and I, I was there the first night that Connor McDavid played Sidney Crosby, Sid took no prisoners. <laughs> Sid was out, out to win. And I suspect tonight we will get a good measure of Sidney Crosby's killer instinct and it will help Connor Bedard in the long run. Yeah, welcome to the NHL, kid. Yep, exactly. uh, we were friends until tonight when the puck <laughs> dropped. No That's apologies right. for it, no. no. Yeah, um, the uh, Canucks don't have Patterson signed. And yesterday, Elliot Friedman saying, you know, look, if he's unsure, I think the Canucks may have had a look at it and say they're, they're unsure as well. Can you find a good reason, John, why the Vancouver Canucks would be unsure about extending Elias Patterson? And what do you make of that comment you think there's some frustration on the Canucks end of things at this point? I, I don't think there's frustration more than it's just a feeling out process in a negotiation. Um, and I mean, that's what it is. This is a negotiation. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, there are still lots of question marks about where the, you know, where the cap is going to go, not necessarily for next summer, but for years to come. And that will, I think that changes a lot of, of what players ask for and what teams expect. So I, I, as, as much as I understand and respect Elliot and what, what he says and how he says it all the time 
and probably got it from somebody credible. I, I just put this as, you know, here we go. I mean, dare I remind everybody that we ha- we all had Connor Hellebuck and Mark Scheifele out of Winnipeg totally. for the whole summer, yeah. and boom. So from that perspective, this is negotiation, and that's exactly what they're doing, and that's what Elias is doing, and that's what the team is doing. Do you get the feeling that the Vancouver Canucks have a, another trade up their sleeves, though? Uh, somehow, some way, do they do they see that gaping hole on the right side of their defense and feel the need to address that? They just got Sam Lafferty as some depth, um, but I I was really expecting them to maybe pull a rabbit out of their hat and make another defenseman trade. Do you think that's still coming here in the next uh, four to eight weeks? I think anything's possible now. I, I think that when, once teams get into the uh, into the meat of the schedule and uh, you know eight to ten games in there people are going to say okay we 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 thought we were better at this position than we are or we're not as good as we are by the way I love I love the Lafferty deal I think Sam Lafferty I mean he's another one of those guys like Teddy Bluger by Christmas time people will there'll be tons of Lafferty sweaters at at, at Rogers Arena too because he's fun to watch he's got great speed he, he's he's not afraid to mix it up. I think Lafferty will be a, a real hit with the fans in Vancouver this season. The uh, roster manipulations are in effect. Um, do you? Uh, <laughs> is there a better way of doing this? I mean, I'm sure this is very confusing for the fans watching the comings and goings of the roster. It, it's uh, it's gymnastics for a lot of teams, and the Canucks are are one of those teams doing them. Yeah, unfortunately, it is the. Uh, uh, the uh, the soft underbelly of a salary cap system uh, where, you know, if you move players up and down, you, your timing becomes an issue, you know, and really what this points to, Blake, in many ways is the, the wise move to move the farm club to Abbotsford, you know, so that so that actual moves aren't really, you know, putting guys on planes and back and forth. Now, I'm not saying that that happened every time, for a lot of teams that have uh, thousands of miles between their farm clubs. But uh, I think that it, it it's one of those things that we're not going to see that fixed until the summer of 2026 when the new CBA, and I can't believe I'm saying this, the new CBA gets put into place. <laughs> and I hope by 2026, I'm not going to have to worry about and I've asked you this before, but are you, you, you still, I believe your answer was you don't believe they'll ever go soft cap. Never get a franchise player tag. Oh, None of that stuff will no. ever happen here. No, no. In fact, in fact, I talked to people on both sides and uh, on the agent side and on the league side, and I think it's going to get hard, tougher. I think that in the long run, we might see five-year contract maxes, and we're going to see a higher percentage for the for the owners rather than the players. I, I really do. I think that that's where we're going. I think that, you know, when you when you know you negotiate with uh, with Mr. Bettman, Mr. Bettman, it, it, it's it, it's a gradual, you know, clawing back of of certain. That situations. sounds like a work stoppage to me when you say that. So uh, yeah, no, it does to me because you know I would say. Boy, you must work for a team because you call it a work stoppage as opposed to a lockout, like. <laughs> uh, well. Uh, I'll go so far and and say if that's the case, I could see a strike, um, because right. I mean, well, I, the problem I, is is that the timing of the timing of a strike, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't believe we're even talking about this. This oh. this gives me the willies. 
I've been through. I mean, yeah. I was I I I lived through the the only strike the players did in '92, and I lived through every lockout that I lost count of. So I I I, I try not to contemplate the next one. <laughs> yeah, uh, and of course, in this league with this commissioner, don't have, don't ever underestimate greed and billionaires' greed as being a driving force of, of what the league does and how it's governed. So let's move that aside. McKayev's not going to be ready. Did the Canucks screw this up last year, letting them play as long as they did? That's interesting. That I, you, you guys saw Dan Milstein's tweet yesterday. Um, yeah, we did. Um, <laughs> he said he wanted to clear things up. The only thing he cleared up, although I'm not sure we needed clarity on this, was that players heal at different, you know, yeah. on different schedules. They had hoped it would be eight months, and it looks like it's going to be longer than quite eight months to the day. So. Yeah, I, I, I. You know, I I, uh, I don't know Dan very well. I've met him a couple of times. Uh, he's, he was very pleasant. I, I just wonder why that tweet now. Um, was he asked to put it out? You know, what was the reason for it? It sounds like it. Because it sounds like he's asked. Well, it certainly does. Yeah. It does to me that you know, hey, you better. You know, we've been we've been carrying the water on this one, and you better help us out. Or now, Dan, because and let's face it, uh, uh, Patrick and Jim have a tremendously positive relationship with Dan and all his clients that play for the Canucks. So from from that perspective, this is one where I think Dan tried to take a little bit of heat off the club. All right, John, prediction time. Where do you see these Vancouver these Vancouver Canucks finishing in twenty three dash twenty four? Well, uh, I've said this before. I'll say it again. If Thatcher Demko can play like Thatcher Demko can play. Then I think they will, you know, they will be in that three-four race uh, in the uh, in the Pacific Division and could vie for a playoff spot. The defensive responsibilities that Rick Tockett's put in place makes this team much better. Scoring goals is not going to be a problem for this hockey club. Obviously, keeping them out of the net is going to be a priority. If they can do that, then they can scare a few people. And I suspect that when you look at where. Uh, the Oilers are, Vegas are, Los Angeles is. Then I put Vancouver right in that in that uh, wheelhouse right there and say, hey, listen, number four in the Pacific, does that get them to a playoff spot? Yeah, I think it probably will, uh, unless you have an outsized uh, view of the Central. Uh, no, I don't. I, 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 I don't really. I think that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Central's in a rebuild mode, lots of teams. Yeah, and, and for me, John, one of the things that's going to be interesting last year uh, in, in difference from last year is last year we had some truly dreadful teams yes. in the Western Conference. When you take a look at just how bad um, Chicago was, just how bad, and frankly, I thought Arizona almost overachieved last year to get to 70 points, but how bad Arizona was, and then San Jose and Anaheim uh, at 58 and 60 respectively. To me, one of the big questions is, will those four be able to steal more points off the Western Conference teams above them than they did last year? Because everybody in the playoffs last year was 95 points or better. In fact, only Winnipeg was below 100 points in the West. So can those four bottom feeders accrue a few more points than they did last year, which may drop the playoff bar down a little bit for the Vancouver Canucks to make it, particularly if they take care of their business against the San Jose's and the Anaheim's and Chicago's of the world? Well, I mean, I think those three of those teams aren't going to be better. Chicago, Anaheim, and San Jose are not going to be better. I think Arizona could scare a lot of people. I, I think Arizona, 
what Billy Armstrong has done there, it, it, their young guys are good. Logan Cooley is a really good hockey player. You know, you know, Gunther's a really good hockey player. They they have a good young nucleus, and I think that I think guys in the end. That little barn they play in is going to be tremendous home ice advantage for them. Their home record is going to be spectacular this year. I think they're going to scare a lot of people in the Central. So of those four teams, I think Arizona could be closer to the real deal than anybody else. But I think in the end, you know, is Vancouver better than Calgary? I think they are. Calgary's Calgary's got a tough uh, a tough situation going. Ryan Husk has got a tough situation going there. Uh, and we'll have to see what happens with the Flames. But from that perspective, mm-hmm. I, I put I put the Canucks in fourth. Where are you on Nashville and Winnipeg? Wow, um, you, you know, and you talk to anybody in Nashville, they did not have a good training camp just because of all the changes. Um, and you know, Andrew Burnett getting his first gig as a head coach, real head coach with with the Predators. Um, so for me, that's that's a learning curve there that's going to take till Christmas. Um, but they do have UC Saros, and so he's going to be a he's going to be a difference maker. Winnipeg's the interesting one for me because on on paper, gosh, on paper they they look so much better. They've always, by the way, the Jets have always looked great on paper. They always look great. They've always had good names and big names on paper. I know, I, you know, Josh Morrissey has to keep playing at that level that he did for the first 60 games of the season. Nick Ehlers has to get healthy. You know, um, yeah, Connor Hellebuck, if Connor, now that Connor Hellebuck settled and he's got a, his, his best friend is his, his goalie partner in Laurent Boissois, you know, they could, they could scare people. If they get off to the same start they did last year, which was really good until Christmas, uh, and they learn how to sustain that, then they could be a lot higher in the standings in the central than people expect. Yeah. Um, and you wonder because last year, Rick bonus didn't seem to love his roster and I'm not sure the roster loved Rick bonus. And so I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that was a problem. Honestly, I, I, I think that what they were trying to do was, and, and it's a, I know it's a cliche is they were trying to change that culture. They were trying to make sure that they, that, other voices in the room were heard, that Ehlers was heard, that Kyle Connor was heard, that Morrissey was heard, you know. And, and to me, you know, the question will become, w- with this new contract, is Mark Scheifele going to be a good teammate? That, to me, is the biggest question. Um, and and it, has he learned the lessons of culture, too? And will he keep his shifts short? And will he not st- try to just run the power play from you know halfway up the boards and and sit there and pretend to shoot and be Alex Ovechkin. That's the key thing for Winnipeg. If Shifley's bought into the new world, then this team can be pretty good. Great stuff, John. Thank you for this. Look forward to next Tuesday already. Let's drop the puck, boys. I'm getting going here. Come on. Oh, it is back, baby. The Price is Right returns for another season. Still price, still right. And uh, another hockey season is upon us. A chance to reload your Canucks hope and optimism or you know, give in to the pessimism, which I think might be a tad harder this year than in previous years. Blue line depth is still a huge issue, especially on the right side, but everything else can be argued to be at least somewhat better. Penalty kill was horrific, of course, and with Bluger, Mikheyev, Lafferty, Suter... Cole and Susie, there's a big time upgrade. 
third and fourth line centers are appropriate now as well with Bluger and Suter. The left side of defense should be impervious to basic injury stress, but if they're robbing from the left to plug the right, then really both sides have some depth issues. 83 points last season. They will defend better while scoring less, but I think it's a nine-point improvement, 92 points on the season. My hope in there, though, on behalf of all the fans, is that the 92 points are doled out in a fairly balanced manner, please. No 10-2-0 run to finish the season at 92 points. That would mean a season in which they really aren't in the playoff race much at all, just getting hot late. means they frustrate us all season and then flirt with a meaningless hot streak to finish. But with 92 points, with the Western Conference floor raised by some slightly better bad teams, they just barely do grab the second wildcard spot. The Canucks will be guided, as expected, by Elise Patterson with a team a tad more structured. EP40 doesn't get to 100 points, but he's just below it at 96. And the overall play is still one step better than even last season. Did you know Pavel Datsuk never got 100 points? It's a nice round number, but it's not needed for a spectacular season. He will also be the team MVP. That doesn't sound terribly original, but it's most probably correct. I will break the original originality mold here, though. My bold take for the season is this. Someone in the core is traded during this season. Those core players for me include Pedersen, Demko, Miller, Hughes, Kuzmenko, and Besser. Miller and Pedersen are the most unlikely in this unlikely of scenarios. A no-move clause for Miller and the aforementioned MVP season for EP40, the big reasons why. But defense is still an issue, and you have to spend to get. That's how I see it going down. Let's drop the puck. Hey, let me ask. You don't think Pedersen's the most likely to be traded, given the contract situation? I, th- I think he's still the unicorn kind of talent that you just can't afford to let slip through your fingertips when you're in control of that whole situation still, and you'll spend the next few years trying to find that same kind of player. So, and because you have them um, in the playoffs, you have them close enough at the deadline, right? That's right, where they're frozen by that. Yes, yeah, exactly. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Well, I'm glad somebody's picked, uh, I'm glad uh, we weren't totally aligned in MVP uh, and that you went off the board there, and I'm also glad we're not totally aligned in terms of uh, points and playoffs. Yeah. So here's some price from Wall Center presentation, Apple at Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Uh, poll question results from yesterday, and we asked you, uh, do you like the Sam Lafferty acquisition? About 1,500 votes on this, Blake. Yes or no? What do the people say? Uh, I think the I think most people still don't value the fifth round draft pick, so they'll say yes. Correct percentage. Seventy three, seventy five. Wow, very good. Uh, Steve, the we're only a piece or two away vibe is still strong, <laughs> and it is. And you know, many noted these are the sorts of trades that I, you know, uh. A contender who is a piece or two away, you know, should yeah. be making, not necessarily. I remember these. Remember like, the Canucks were good? Like the Sammy Paulson acquisition? We're like, oh, yeah, KG move. Good, good yeah. acquisition, you know? Yeah. Rob says, firm believer you go for high-end talent in the draft, not drafting third pair D and fourth liners. Can go un- undrafted free agent, free agency to fill those spots, but agree, too many draft picks going out 
not enough coming in. This was on my quote tweet of it where I said, you know, got to get to the point where the Canucks eventually develop their own fourth liners and third pair defensemen as opposed to having to go out and trade for them. There is a school of thought now, though, and I will give it some credence because it is fair that as we are separating the haves from the have-nots in NHL economics, that so long as these players stay cheap. Totally, yeah. Then you know maybe you are better off peeling draft picks to go. Well, no, I, I think what the point is is that as long as they remain cheap, going to get them in free agency is fine because everybody at the upper end is going to be stealing the money, and there's not going to be money left over, and you should be able to sign these guys as UFAs right. for very cheap, which is what happened and, here with Sam Lafferty. Well, and I, and I, well. There is, and we're seeing it here this week, a difference between a $1.1 million player and a player who's just under 800000 in terms of salary cap maneuverings. If your entire third lo- fourth line is a $1.1 million player as opposed to an 800000 then suddenly you're committing an extra million dollars right. to that line. So there is, there is that. There's also, I think we have become a little bit unduly influenced about the cost of third pair defensemen and fourth liners because the hard cap has suppressed the salary of those players. You watch, you go hand these NHL general managers six, seven million dollars in cap space over the next couple of years. Suddenly, the fourth liners and the third pair defensemen are going to be a little more expensive because some guys are going to go out and buy them like Benning did with Beagle once upon a time, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. People have been scarred unduly here about what bottom six players cost, for sure. Sheila says, why would they, if they can trade them, uh, trade for them with spare parts? Uh, Suck it, Phaneuf says, and I said, in a vacuum, I like the trade. Suck it, Phaneuf says, but the situation is a vacuum because the only factor for leadership is being competitive enough for EP40 to resign. There's that, too. That if you feel like Sam Lafferty is a necessary piece to keep things competitive in the early going and hopefully throughout the season and entice Elias to resign, then yeah, sure. Start peeling picks in future years. Uh, but I mean, we are talking incrementally versus oh, having another lottery. Very like, much so. Very versus much having so. another lottery. Like, how much better is Sam Lafferty than Jack Sednica? Well, better? that is sure. the question. That incrementally, is the question. though. Come on. That is the question. Uh, we didn't do Friday's poll question either as we celebrate Stan Spiel's retirement. Do the Canucks currently have a heart and soul player? Yes or no, Blake? What do the people say? People said no to that. Correct. Percentage? 54. 68. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Stronger voice. Uh, Jose in Vancouver and Power Stroke both saying JT Miller is that guy. Curtis yeah, saying, get votes. Curtis saying not anymore with a picture of Bo Horvat. Al says not like Smeal was. Um, and Lalit says they lack heart and soul, the whole organization. So not just in the player group. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. Uh, we didn't get to Friday Bodog poll question results. We just did there. It was Dominic Rhymes with that big catch and run in the final play of the Lions Bombers game, not Hollins or Katoy. And uh, unless Grady has anything else, that's that. Time for Blake's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. So you like what you got? Uh, first period score tomorrow night Oilers 
and Canucks. I think both teams get on the board, but it's also a little bit of a feel-out process. Uh, 1-1 after 20 minutes pays out a plus 500. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rankwide wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.